and welcome disc golfers to the Hitting the Line podcast. I am your host, Jad, and back with me in the lab, in the studio, after a three-week hiatus, is my brother and disc golf elder, Nasser. How are you doing, Nasdog? Jad, I am doing so well. Happy to be back home, ready to record another episode. Before we get into that, tell us, tell us, how was the John Muir Trail? How was your trip? How long were you out? What was the trail like? What were the conditions? What's it like being back in civilization? Uh, well, my wife and I completed the John Muir Trail in about 21 days, and that's uh, 210 miles plus the eight-mile hike we had to get on the actual trail, so about close to 220 miles um, in 19 days of hiking, 21 total days out on trail. Uh, we had the first couple of days were pretty cloudy, had some rain, had some scary storms and things like that. But uh, as we got into the meat of our trip, we were treated with the kind of typical blue skies that Kings Canyon and uh, Sequoia Park uh, have, which is beautiful hiking weather. And yeah, we were crushing out, you know, 10 to 13 mile days, which for super experienced hikers is not much. But for us, it was a lot and uh, we had a blast. It's the what was one of the most rewarding, and beautiful, and challenging things uh, I've ever done. Uh, and then, of course, after that, I went to the gathering of the Juggalos and got to rock my face off for like three days. Um, Big time ICP guy over here. Big time ICP guy. Whoop whoop. Um, so yeah. So now just kind of getting back into the swing of things. Work is starting again. School starts on Monday with kids and. Uh, yeah, so let's look at these uh, lines this, this week and have, have some fun with it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we are at the Delaware Disc Golf Challenge in Newark, Delaware for a PDGA National Tour event. This is episode eight. Nine. Let's jump into it. All right. Let's take a look at the course this year. Um. This year, there are definitely a couple of changes. I think we counted about four holes that had changes from uh, the last time this tournament was played here at Iron Hill, which was in 2019. Um, and before the course, I believe par was 69. Uh, and par is going to be 70 this year at Iron Hill. Previous winners, 2019 was Matt Bell, who edged out Ricky Waisaki. Uh, so Ricky finished second then. And then in 2018, Ricky Waisaki lost to Paul Macbeth. So Ricky Waisaki with the history of finishing second here, but playing well. All right, Jed, let's take a look at the FPO side. So if we look at 2019, Katrina Allen did take that home with Kristen Tatar following right behind. However, this year at Iron Hill, the player pool is a little bit smaller. Paige Pierce dropped out of the tournament. I believe she just got done at a music festival or something. Maybe she wants to recover. <laughs> not <laughs> not sure to that. Not sure what that's about. Um, but I know on coverage this week we are going to see Kona. We're going to see Sarah Hokum, Katrina Allen, Heather Young. And, you know, we're playing at a wooded course. Um, so I would expect uh, to see a great putter like Heather Young be at the top. I would hope that Holly Finley is still the woods queen yeah. um, that we, we made her out to be the past couple years. I think in a vacuum, it's obvious that you should pick Katrina Allen or maybe even Sarah Hokum to win this one. Yeah. But I, w I would like to see Kona do her thing. Um, 
here on this pod, we've always been huge fans of Kona. Uh, we know she's got all the skills. Maybe she can make some putts. Um, do you have a prediction for FPO this year? Yeah, I would be really surprised if Sarah Hocum didn't finish top three somewhere. Uh, I think Katrina Allen, of course, could definitely be a favorite here with Kristen Tatar not being in the mix this week. I could see Heather Young also maybe making a top three or a top five finish at this tournament. So look out for for Stacey Ronsley. I I know this is a um, more of a wooded course and she's more of a power player, Uh, but she's been shooting seems like progressively better as the weeks go on. So maybe we can see her squeak in the top four after she had her mishap last week. But moving on from the women's side, as far as the MPO goes, we did mention um, what happened in 2019. Uh, but Nas, what do you think about the course changes and who do you think is going to perform well in real life as opposed to our prize picks selections? Who do you think is going to perform well? And maybe do you have a prediction of who might take it home in the MPO this year? Yeah, um, I think I'm, I'm being drawn towards Ricky, of course, with two second place finishes the past two years at, at this tournament. It's a, it's a Wysocki bomb type of course where you got to be accurate off, off the tee. And if you're not, you have to scramble. You have to make putts from really difficult places. So it's a course that I think plays to Ricky's strengths. Uh, but someone that we're both liking a lot in this tournament, we think too, is Matty O, Matthew Oram. Uh, he's someone who's been playing well uh, for the past few weeks, someone who's been playing well for the past, oh, I don't know, 25 years. And uh, someone who's really coming into his own at the right time during the season. I also would not be surprised to see James Conrad shoot really well. He's finished, I think, top five at this tournament before. Uh, and I could see someone like even who maybe doesn't usually finish as high, like Paul Uliberry or Jer- Jeremy Colling, um, just being more accurate kind of, I don't know if you would say finesse players, uh, but guys that can play safe and score well in the woods. You might see them pull up a top 10 finish that you maybe didn't expect. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of these guys can can place in the top 10, top 5, top 7. And we've really started, we've seen it having back-to-back tournaments at Northwood Black from Ledgestone and then Idlewild immediately after that really, I, I don't necessarily buy the narrative that Eagle McMahon can't play in the woods, X person can't play in the woods, they can only play here, they can only play there. We just had it come down at at Idlewild come down to like eight people on the final hole of the final round. I really think everybody's got the skill set. Of course, it's about who puts it together and you do like certain guys more than others. Um, Chris Dickerson is another one uh, worth noting. Not sure what has been going on with Nico this year, at least maybe this past month and a half since worlds really has really been underperforming. Um, so I'm really curious he to see how he finishes. started off the season pretty hot, I feel like, and then hasn't been great since then. Yes, I'm curious to see how Nico finishes, and I'm curious to see how Andrew Fish finishes. Uh, uh, Andrew Fish, also, I think, a winner of, uh, if not this tournament, another tournament that's been held at Iron Hill. I think I read that he was a uh, like you know 2015 or 2016 winner of this tournament. So keep uh, keep keep an eye out for him. This is definitely the type of course that Fish can do well at. Yeah, we're we're big time Andrew Fish guys over here. And it definitely fits his style. He he plays more finesse. Yeah, he throws comments. Is that right? Oh yeah, comments yeah, and challengers. Yep, yeah. comment guy, finesse guy, Michael Johansson of sorts. So uh, another guy I'd be interested to see how he can perform is Greg Barsby. 
you know he's someone that can do well in the woods with his finesse forehand game. So I would not be surprised if Greg Barsby takes a top five or a top ten finish. Actually, I would really love to see that. And in, in, in you speak of finesse, and of course Bradley Williams is signed up for this tournament. Um, Matt Bell, who we know is great, and he actually he won. won it yeah. in 2019. And when we were looking at the prize picks lines, another name that sticks out to us is Emerson Keith. Yeah. I mean, a flex forehand in the woods is some of the biggest advantages you can have at a disc golf course. So yeah. really, it is so up in the air. And I'm just like I said last week on the pod, the solo pod, guys, I am not going to sit here on a soapbox and pretend that I know who the top three guys are going to be. We just named a handful of them and still left more than a handful out of the conversation. Anybody could take it home. All right, so those are our real-life predictions of who we think is going to perform well. But what does this mean when it comes to our prize picks entries? Jed? Okay, guys, we are over here playing at prize picks. What is prize picks? Prize picks is a daily fantasy sports app slash website. They do all daily fantasy sports, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, disc, golf, name a sport. They got it. They have CSGO. They have all the, all the gaming type stuff. Anyways, if you want to play daily fantasy sports and make disc golf selections with us, use our referral code when you make your first initial deposit. Referral code HTL, as in hitting the line when you sign up, and they will match your deposit up to $100. And what's great about this deposit is you get to use the promo money right away. You don't have to make a bunch of entries and earn it back slowly they will match you up to hundred dollars using our referral code htl so get in on the action guys we are playing daily fantasy disc golf over at prize picks all right i'm gonna take a look at the board here and remember the course this week is a par 70 so keep that in mind when you are thinking about these numbers here uh, with the lowest projected score of the week we have ricky waisaki with a 62 which would be an eight down and in 2019, that would have been about a 10.50 round. So um, someone over there, the, the sharps at prize picks are taking the ratings, and they're kind of doing what we, we do, Jad, is assign a score based on that. But we think that the course is going to probably play a stroke to a stroke and a half tougher this year. So an 8-down we think might be a little bit closer to a 10.60 than a 10.50. Uh, we think there's only a handful of people who can probably get that type of score this week. Uh, so that's the first thing you see. We got James Conrad at a 64. Uh, and, the, and one way that our real-life picks translate to this is, you know, I expect James to be able to go out and shoot just as hot of a round as anybody else. So the fact that his score is actually two strokes higher than Ricky's is intriguing to me. Uh, Calvin, 63. Chris Dickerson, 63.5. So think about that. Adam Hammes at a 64.5. Nicola Castro, 65.5. Emerson Keith, 65. Paul Uleberry, 66. Jeremy Culling, 66 and a half, and Garrett Gerthy, 66 and a half. So the three highest scores there, Yuli, Culling, and Gerthy. What are our first impressions when we look at these lines, Jed? Well, so my first impressions are, as we were saying a little bit before about in real life, you know, it's really going to be hard to tell who's going to win this thing. So it really is about looking at the board as a whole and not a single player. It's kind of like how you mentioned James Conrad is projected for a couple strokes worse than Ricky, but we know uh, that James can shoot just as hot of a score. So it's about finding those gaps in between the players. It's something we've been doing with the players such as Kyle Klein all year. We have been making 
Skrilla off Kyle. <laughs> off, we've been making money off Kyle Klein all year because we know Kyle Klein is a stud. We know he can shoot just as hot, and yet the scores will show him to shoot three, four, five strokes worse than somebody like Ricky or Paul. So this week for me, it really is about taking a look at the board as a whole, finding the guys that you know can shoot well, not necessarily that will, but can, and then choosing them for your unders. I really do think it's an overs week this week, considering that the projections are projected pretty fair according to rating. However, we do think the course could play a stroke and a half, maybe even two strokes tougher this year. Yeah, they've changed about, like we said, they made about four of the holes longer, uh, and very rarely is a course going to make changes that make the course easier. So if uh, yeah, if an eight down was a ten fifty last year, an eight down this year could possibly be um, higher rated than that. So uh, let's take a look here, Jed. My kind of thought going in the, into this week and this course, especially because it is so wooded and a lot of different things could happen, was to make a lot of two pick power plays. Um, so kind of just looking at whatever lines I thought were the most intriguing or the best value and building just power picks around that. Um, so here's what, what I have. Uh, I saw the line for Emerson Keith at 65, knowing that would be a five down for him. I could see him easily shooting a five down at this, this course. Uh, Emerson Keith, we know, can play very hot in the woods, as he proved in Utah. Um, so, so him on the under there I think is easy. Emerson Keith, under 65. So then who's going to be your over? You said it's the week of the over. Well, because it's round one, I'm taking Ricky Wysocki. Of course, he had the lowest projected score. Um, and this is a strategy we've done on, on this show a lot now is it's take that low score and take the over, especially for round one where the hottest round is usually not shot in round one. So I'm going to go ahead and put the two-pick power in. Ricky Wysocki on the over, Emerson Keith on the under. The second one that I made, uh, similar thinking, James Conrad on the under. I saw that 64, and I thought he's capable of shooting maybe you know an eight. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and take James Conrad on the under, Paul Uliberry on the over, even though he's someone I think can play good at this course. Uh, historically this year, he has been not finishing as well as the rest of these guys. So taking Paul on the over. And then I actually liked that bet so much that the next day I went and made a bet or uh, uh, an entry, and I did the exact same thing on accident. And then my last two-pick power is Chris Dickerson on the over. I don't love it. Uh, and then Jeremy Colling on the under, which I do love. I do love Jeremy Colling on the under. Jed, what are some uh, entries that you've made or thought about making? Sure. So I've I've made one pick so far. We've only I've only looking at looked at it an hour ago. I've got a three pick flex. I've got Garrett Gurthy, Paul Uliberry, Jeremy Colling. Jeremy Colling on the under, Uli and Gurthy on the over. It seems like every single week Uliberry and Gurthy are our guys to pick at for the overs. Yeah, that's true. Gerthy's C1X this year has been really atrocious. I'm just going to say it how it is. And I think in, in general, we've stated this theory before, and it's just been proven to work all year, that our round one scores have not been hot. Our hot scores tend to come from second and third round. I don't know if it's because guys are willing to take the top off um, the last couple rounds because they don't want to ruin it all in round one or if it's a combination of the fact that it's their first time playing it in a serious manner. But I do not expect the scores to be super hot. And the reason I like Jeremy Colling on the under, we took him on the under 
if you were sweating with us on Twitter a couple times, he just manages the course really well. Course management is a sign of a mature golfer. Jeremy Colling, he uh, never steps out of his comfort zone. He doesn't try to execute a shot that he knows is not necessarily in his arsenal. He plays safe. He takes his birdies when they come, and he avoids a lot of bogeys. And he's liable just to make a 60-foot step putt and really start to get his putting stroke down. So, yeah, he's someone that I have him on an under on my three-pick flex. I put him on the over and took Yuli for the under, kind of hedging those bets of which one of those guys uh, will you know outperform the other because they're only a half stroke separated. And, so. and I, I like the terminology that we're using here, hedging. It was something we've been doing all year, guys. Um, it saved me plenty of money in the past. It's When we love our Anthony Barella unders and we're betting the house on his unders, you know we have to bet the overs too. And, you know, hedging when you're you're betting both sides of the line and mixing up the combinations um, of players, this is when you're going to um, really start to learn how to place your entries. And I think this is an example of a week where you should be doing a lot of hedging. Any one of these guys can shoot the unders. It doesn't mean they will. I think this round one is a time where you're going to want to just get some practice in, place a lot of entries, make them small wagers. Let's see what happens round one. Agreed. Let's see how the scores adjust. And then round two, maybe maybe that's when we're going to put more money in play. Yeah, may, you know what? Maybe you know we watch round, round one and we find out that these – Changes to the course to make them longer, but they change the par to a five instead of a four, and, may, and maybe folks are killing it. And maybe a 10 down is the high score. We don't know what's going to happen out there yet, or maybe the weather comes and it messes things up and keeps scores really high. So we'll see what happens in round, round one and make some decisions when it comes to round two. And lastly, this is just a PDGA NT. Our player pool for prize picks this week is pretty small. So don't get caught betting the house on one or two guys and it screws your whole thing because the player pool is so small. All right, guys, and that's it from us as far as the Delaware Disc Golf Challenge goes. There was no tournament last year because of COVID. The player pool is small right now. I imagine a lot of the players are gearing up to play Maple Hill next weekend. A lot of players are taking the week off. Here's our main takeaways for our prize pick selections this week. Remember the basic theories we've been working with all year, especially the fact that we think um, round ones are usually, almost always, not as hot as rounds two and three. So maybe lean on some overs. Hedge a little. Play a lot of plays. Get your practice in. Don't bet the house. Nas? Well, Jed, I think that sums it up for this week. You know, these longer wooded courses, anything can happen. And like you said, we're just going to play it easy in round one and see what happens. Now, let's go on to a different question. Uh, Earlier this week, there was some stuff going around on Disc Golf Twitter, kind of some fun questions to think about. And I wanted to bring the discussion up to you. If you had to play a tournament, let's say your next tournament that's coming up with only three discs, what discs would you choose and why? So think about that for a second. Yeah, and uh, leave leave us a comment. Um, s- send us a, a comment on Twitter or maybe even an email and let us know. Maybe we'll read it on the episode next week. Nas, what would your three discs be? Well, I think, I mean, a putter, does uh, a putter count as a disc? It has yes. To be? Okay. Um, I'm going to have a putter, maybe 
Uh, I might even do just to be crazy. I might even do like a premium putter. Hold, hold on, hold on. Let's 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 actually do exactly what the question was. The putter did not count. It was the question was a driver, a mid range, a putter, and a utility disc. Okay. Well, then a putter. I would have uh, a, a Matt Bell twenty twenty steady. That'd be my putter. I would rock an FD. And, uh, and, and and why? So um, putter self-explanatory, whatever feels comfortable. Yeah. So FD versus other fairway drivers. Uh, an FD is not, it's stable, not overstable, but stable to where it's very straight, even when you put a lot of snap on it, and I feel like you can shape a lot of shots. If you want to throw a hyzer with an FD, you can. If you want to throw a straight shot, you can. If you want to really snap it down on some Annie, you can. So I think the FD is the perfect fairway driver, and it can do probably about 80% of most of my drives off the tee. Second, oh, man, uh, I guess I would take something like uh, a breaker or a zone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say breaker here. So this is your utility disc, not your mid-range? Yeah, this is my utility disc, for short for, forehand, short hyzers. Um, and then for a mid-range... I'm probably going to be bringing oh something nice and beat up like a my maybe like my beat up D-line Quake um or something more traditional gosh you know this is where you just want to throw in a buzz or something very buzz like and call it a day but I'm going to say uh actually if I have the breaker I would say an ESP Comet I feel like I can hit a lot of lines with a Comet and it's glidey and it's not going to handle wind well, but in that case, I think I'll just use my breaker. So, so my breaker. So I guess my question to you then um, with those discs is, let's say you have a 270-foot pure hyzer shot. What, do you, what disc are you throwing? 270 on a hyzer? I don't think you're going to get your comment on 270-foot hyzer. You'd be surprised. It's pretty glidey. Um, but if, like, like I said earlier, if there's any wind, I might be in trouble with this bag. Uh, so 270, I might just fan grip the FD on a hyzer. That, I think that's fair. 270 and wide open and just hope, yeah, not not give it a full rip and hope it just mostly gets there. <laughs> How about you? What, what, are you? what are your three discs in a putter? Well, I, I go, if you've heard before when we did the in the bag, I, I go pretty bare bones basic. And I, I think it's a strategy that you should do no matter who your manufacturer of choice is. For me, it happens to be Innova. I go, my driver would be either a T-Bird or a T3. I think I would actually just choose the T3 just to get me the small bit of extra distance, but it also gives me more versatility on the straighter slash slow turnover shots, whereas I might not feel as comfortable with that as a normal T-Bird as I think a normal T-Bird might fade a little bit earlier. So my driver is going to be the T3. And you know somebody who throws Discraft might say Undertaker. So it, it's that, that range of disc for me. My mid-range is going to be Probably a KC Pro Rock versus a beat-up DX Rock 3. The reason I think I choose the KC Pro Rock is because it has the the straight and the glide right out of the box. I don't have to... The, the, the DX Rock 3 is great, but I think it's going to turn over maybe a little bit too much than my KC Pro Rock does. The KC Pro Rock is very stable, in my opinion. And so that difference between stable... And overstable is like a terminology that gets so misused in disc golf. To me, stable means it holds the line you put it on. 
doesn't mean that it's going to dump left. That would be considered overstable. Yeah, that's a topic for a different day, though. <laughs> yeah, that definitely is. Um, utility disc. While I am an Innova guy, I do not throw a pig. I love the zone. I don't see anything that's going to change that, although I was digging the breaker when you pulled it out the other day. It felt good in the hand, but um, nothing's going to replace my zone. And right now, I'm putting with the Andrew Fish CT Challengers, the Crazy Tough Challengers, formerly known as the Cam Todd Challengers. Shout out Cam Todd, was long time known as the best putter in the world. Um, after he was no longer sponsored, they changed it to Crazy Tough rather than Cam Todd. Uh, so that's what I would choose for my three discs. So once again, that begs the question, what three discs would you guys choose? Send us a message on Twitter. Um, speaking of Twitter, socials. You can find us on Twitter at underscore hitting the line. Or you can find my personal account on Twitter at jad underscore rehan. That's J-A-D underscore R-I-H-A-N. Nas, what about you? hit me up at H-T-N-A-S-S-E-R on Twitter. So go ahead, reach out to us, interact with us, sweat out some tournaments with us. And we will see you folks next time. Peace. Peace.